0: listener supported St Gabriel Catholic Radio AM 820 brings you Foundations in Faith Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at mass And now Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane This is uh, Father Frank Lane and we're continuing our program Foundations in Faith Today we're going to look at the Holy Gospel according to St Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 12 Probably probably um, the most famous passage from all four of the Gospels. It is called the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. And, uh, but it's loaded with all sorts of meaning for us and all sorts of meaning for the ages as well. And this is something that we th- would be beneficial to us to, to look at, to pray about, uh, to consider in our own personal lives because as we've said before, the Gospels were not intended to be restricted somehow or other to the first century, but they speak to every person in every age, in every place. And so it becomes then the challenge of every age, every age especially within the church, to revisit the traditions of the scriptures and the traditions of Revelation, and to re-understand them, uh, in, in, in our own context, in our own age, in our own time. Now, there's too many people that say, no, we have to change them to, uh, to meet our own time and our own place. But that's not, that's really ridiculous. Because what we're dealing with is this word of God, and as soon as we decide to change that, we're dealing with our own words. And all of those things then become kind of, this is where you get so much of the distortion and so much of the dysfunction of of Christianity throughout the world, is people frustrated with the Lord decide that they're going to do it themselves. Um, This certainly happened in the 16th century. It certainly is happening today, Um, very seriously so within the church. This is what we find going on with, for instance, the uh, the German Synod, and we find it also that it went on with the Amazon Synod, and we'll find that it goes on, especially in, in the the whole process where it is the dissenters who are motivated to come out and make their contribution. And uh, the result of it is, um, it's not, you know, it's not that that we're not free to explore meaning, It's necessary that we explore meaning. It's a necessary part of our faith life that we explore meaning. But it's not a necessary part of our faith life that we decide to improve on what God has had to say to us through the ages. That uh, this whole notion, well, you know, I mean, he didn't do it right the first time, so, you know, it's up to us to make it all right again. I think that it's just absurd on the face of it, and it doesn't take a whole lot of discussion about that to go on. But what does it mean for us? How do we interpret the given um, in, in the midst of the contemporary age? That's another issue, and that's something that maybe we can look at today. Um, for in the scripture texts, we can see both the past and the present and the future. The past, we we speak of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant. The present is the all encompassing presence of the New Covenant, the all in presence, accompanying of the all uh, uh, inclusive uh, presence of the reign of the Lord Jesus and the revelation of God through the Word to us. And the future is what we call eschatological. The whole created construct of time is included in the interpretation of Scripture. And hopefully we will be able then to see more clearly how this works in, uh, in, in this particular case with this particular passage from Matthew's Gospel. It begins with seeing the crowds, Jesus went up the hill, and there he had sat down and was joined by his disciples. And then he began to speak, and this is what he taught them. This is, this is uh, a structure in Matthew which is very important and which is very significant. For when Jesus is going to address the crowds, he goes up the hill or goes up the mountain. We call it the, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, for in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is the, is the new Moses. He is the one now who has finally come to fulfill the mission of Moses, to lead the people into the promised land. And uh, and to do so by um, instructing them, teaching them, guiding them, and helping them to understand more deeply what it is that the Lord is doing for them and what it is that the Lord is asking for them. So, the image of Moses on the mountain and Jesus uh, on the mountain is supposed to be something we connect in our minds and in our hearts according to Matthew's Gospel. And it's a very different kind of thing too, because both are lawgivers now. Um, Moses gives the law, the old law, the Torah, and um, and Jesus now is giving, um, articulating the new law, which is which is very, very different, very less juridical than the old, and probes more deeply into the mystery of the human heart and the mystery of human experience. And so he starts out with how happy, or we could say blessed, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is an incredibly important, the, the second one, many many commentators feel that the first and the second are exactly the same thing, for the second is blessed are the meek, for they shall have the earth for their heritage. Um, that the meek and the poor in spirit are the same. They come to us out of the Old Testament, and I think that there is that there is a mistake that we often make in the emphasis that we find on poverty in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and even in the church, that there is no glorification of poverty. There is no glorification of the grinding, uh, element of life under the heel of real poverty. That's not what the, that's not what the scriptures is talking about. That certainly exists. And, and it exists as a challenge to humanity, for it certainly is something that humanity is sent to overcome. And humanity is sent to rescue those who are trapped in that kind of, of environment. That, uh, to, to bring them into a greater peacefulness and a greater freedom. But what does it mean then when the when the scriptures um, idealize the poor? For instance, here, happy are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think we've seen before that the the poor in spirit are the anawim of the Old Testament, and uh, it's it, it's a it's a word that means the poor of Yahweh, and it is not it is primarily centered around the Babylonian captivity of Israel. That when the emperor, when the kings Cyrus of, um, of Persia and Darius of the Medes um, free the Jews from their exile and uh, captivity in, in Babylon um, and allow them and invite them to go home then to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple and to reinstitute, therefore, the, the, the faithfulness to the covenant and the faithfulness to the Lord God of Israel. Um, when they do that, most of those who have been kidnapped and brought to, to Babylon do not return. For Babylon is a marvelous place in those days. Now it's just is somewhere beneath the sifting sands of Iraq where all the works of humanity eventually will end up. But uh, in, in a similar way. But, but at that time, it was, uh, it was the most magnificent city in the world. In fact, is in, in, I don't know if it still is or not, but in, in the old days, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon were considered one of the seven wonders of the world. It was a magnificent city, and many who came from exile in Jerusalem and Judea, many of them uh, assimilated and in that assimilation, adapted themselves to the Babylonian way of life, to the prosperity, to the opportunity for success and advancement and wealth and so forth. But the ones who did not assimilate, the ones who retained their identity and retained their fidelity, were less successful. And they were looked down upon as the poor. And uh, in the city of Babylon, they are the ones who return to Jerusalem. And this is particularly when the uh, the old testament what it begins to do what the old testament begins to do is to identify therefore those who are poor for the sake of fidelity to god those are the ones they honor it's not that it's not that poverty itself brings a certain faithfulness but it's that oftentimes faithfulness brings a certain type of poverty And it is that certain type of poverty brought about by faith and faithfulness that the scriptures celebrate. It's what Jesus is now referring to here in the Beatitudes. How blessed or how happy, the same word are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and happy the meek, for they shall have the earth for their heritage. Now, this word blessed and happy is a fairly common literary form in both Old and the New Testament. And it involves, it involves a multidimensional reality, the possession of a, a present good, which implicitly or explicitly um, is a looking forward to an even greater good to come. And so in this looking forward to an even greater good to come, we can say that there is an eschatological dimension, therefore, to the Beatitudes. For while it celebrates the happiness, the blessedness of the present moment, it does so in a way of looking forward um, to an even greater blessedness, an even greater happiness in the kingdom of God. And in so doing, then, what, what what we do is have not only a consolation in the present, but also a stirring up of expectation in the future, of looking forward to the fulfillment of the promises. And so then the baritodes go on to say, happy those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In other words, mourning is not just being sad. Mourning is a true sorrow over some tremendous um, Event in our lives. We speak, for instance, at funerals of mourners. And while we mourn the dead, included in that mourning of the dead is that implicit um, expectation of someday there being a reunion, of someday that. Uh, that we are able then to be together again. So as we suffer the loss in the presence, that helps us to look forward to the reward of the future and the reunion of the future with those whom we are mourning. Um, we can mourn many things, but all of it interprets a present loss. All of it seems to indicate a present loss. And in the mourning of the present loss, Jesus is saying that you know, there will then be a restoration, there will then be a, a, tr- a tremendous opportunity um, for experiencing in a new and a more complete way that loss which we have experienced here in this world, in this life. And happy are those who are hunger and thirst for what is right, for they shall be satisfied. Um, what do we look forward to? We look forward, for instance, in Isaiah, the prophet, we have, you know, the, the day of the Lord coming, the day of the Lord, the feast on the holy mountain, all of that. And so in doing all of that, what we also manage then to expect is a de- time of great plenty, a time of reward, a time of peace and happiness, a time when there is an end of conflict, where the lion will lie down with the lamb, where the child will put his hand in the adder's lair. Uh, and and those, those animals of the kingdom that live by devouring one another um, on, on the holy mountain will be, will be grass eaters and so forth. So we're looking forward then to an eschatological moment. And Jesus is saying those who hunger and thirst for that eschatological moment. For this is what justice is. Justice is in the Old Testament and in the New. Justice is really the living out, the fulfilling of the plan that God has for for us in our lives. For what he asks and seeks for mankind that then is what justice is in in the scriptures. And we ourselves then seek that kind of justice, which means we seek the kind of life for all that, uh, um, that is uh, in any way shape or form for the betterment, the improvement. Even when, Even when we resist evil, we are not doing it in such a way as to condemn the evil, but we are doing it in such a way as to bring good out of the evil that exists and to watch the evil dissipate and disappear not only in the hearts of individuals but within the societies and the communities in which they live so that it is never it is never violent and it is never a seek to punish or torment it is always a it always a quest to bring forward um in into what Um, for those who hunger and thirst for God's vindicating justice is not any selfish spirit, but God's sovereign will be done. It is that attempt, therefore, to bring God's sovereign will into reality here in the modern world, in our time, in our place. We, we can think, for instance, of the types of struggles that Christianity has in the middle in the modern world. One of the great struggles, of course, it has is, is, is greed and exploitation, um, and the total and absolute disrespect. Uh, for for other people's human lives. Certainly we find one of, one, of, one of the ghastly things that goes on is the massive sex trafficking that goes on, human trafficking that goes on, um, to a degree um, that would boggle our minds if we were to really know and to understand how pervasive this is, how organized it is, how well financed it is. Um, and how it is so easily manipulated from some of the most powerful. Uh points of, of action within, within our societies. Um, we've been, we've been uh, uh, dismayed by the revelations of uh, Jeffrey Epstein and his island, but this is a very, very tip of an iceberg that's very, very extensive and expansive. We also have recently, within the United States government Congress, 210 congressmen voting to allow live children to lie and to die, of lack of care, lack of warmth, lack of food, lack of the ordinary means that anyone would take to make sure of the life of a newborn child. It is one of the great outrages of our age. And it it is certainly something that has stirred up forth from the great powers of darkness. It is a terrible thing that we have done. And, uh, and yet Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what is right, for justice, for God's will to be done, for they will be satisfied. So there is then to our struggle against this dehumanization of individual people and of groups of people. Um, things that we find when groups of people are excluded, groups of people are persecuted, groups of people are in some way, shape, or form oppressed. All of that, all of that, that the killing of children and the trafficking of young people, all of that kind of stuff is contrary, contrary to God's will for our society. It is the work of the devil. The work, as Scripture says, of the of Beelzebul, the Lord of the Flies, Satan himself. And uh, and what Jesus says, however, is that when we pursue His will, when we pursue what He desires for others, there will be satisfaction, There will be an eschatological coming to terms with their own suffering. And with all that they have been asked and to endure um, in this life, there will be a satisfaction, there will be, In the age of the Eschaton, in the final ages, these people who have in any way, shape, or form um, remained in some sense truly human even though the dehumanized treatment they have received will receive a reward in heaven from from, from Almighty God because they will live in a world that is orderly, in a world that fulfills the divine will, in a will that therefore seeks and exists in the justice of God. Um and along with that next two, he speaks, he speaks about the the merciful. And once again, those who show mercy, um, they shall have mercy shown them, an eschatological promise, a contradiction between the future and the present, in which the future will triumph over the present. And that which was unjust and that which was unmerciful will be transformed into justice and mercy on the mountain of the Lord, on the day of the Lord, in the eschatological time in eternal life. The pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is pure in the sense of simply. Um, not in the sense of, uh, of, of moral purity, but in the sense we say just purely pure and simple. This is the way it is. Um, that, that unencumbered, simple, plain, direct, um, those who therefore have a heart that is open and directed toward the Lord, those people, those people will find God in their lives and particularly will be with him in the age to come. He says the same of the peacemakers and the same of those who are persecuted in the cause of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Who are they who are persecuted for the cause of righteousness? Who are they are they 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 certainly are the ones who who speak out for those who have no voice they are the ones therefore who champion the cause of the oppressed and the poor and the forgotten and the abandoned and the exploited they they are the ones then um who who will be persecuted look look at um, Look at the number of martyrs that we have in the 20th and 21st century. Already in the 20th century, we have over 30 martyrs around the world, and uh, why? Because they have been persecuted for the cause of right. Um, we we have in this era, this period of time too, the uh, the feast day of uh, Sister Saint Mary Ann Cope. Uh, Syracuse, New York Franciscan, who went to Molokai with Father Damien and lived there for 35 years with the lepers, looking after them. Um, Father Damien was persecuted for his gift to the people of Molokai. Um, There was, from what I've read anyway, a, a, a Protestant minister of some sort who spread the word that he was living there because he was exploiting, sexually exploiting the lepers at Molokai. Um, Nothing could have been further for the truth, but blessed is he, because he has spoken all sides, uh, because all sorts of calumny were spoken against him on account of the work that he was doing. And the Lord can say to him, rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. They can say that also of St. Mary Ann Cope, because she too was slandered for her work Um, with the lepers, to bring to them Jesus Christ and to bring to them the message of hope, to bring to them this very thing, this eschatological promise, which has come to them, you know, from the promise of the Lord. And then, then Jesus finishes this discourse on the mountain happy are you when people abuse you and persecute you and speak all kinds of calumny against you in my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. We've seen this in relationship to Father Damien and Sister Marian Cope. What, what, we, what we want to see it again too is the church in the modern world. What kind of abuse and what kind of rejection and what kind of ridicule and what kind of, of disdain does modern society continually heap upon the church? The increasing vandalism against Catholic Church, the increasing ridicule of our beliefs, the uh, the in- increasing disdain and and hatred, um, hatred toward toward all of those who, uh, in any way, shape, or form, espouse espouse the uh, the kingdom of God and espouse the uh, what what the Lord is asking of, of us and what the Lord is doing for us. We have but to read the newspapers to know and to understand what in fact, Jesus Christ is enduring and the people of God are enduring. Once the when Christianity reigned supreme, it was in many many ways um, kind of... Uh, safe from the kind of treatment and the kind of hatred that it has, although in this country the church was severely persecuted in the 19th century. Um, The Know-Nothings burned, famously burned down the convents in, uh, in Philadelphia, um, when, for instance, uh, during that time, when Mother Frances Ward from Pittsburgh, a Sister of Mercy, wanted to establish a house in, uh, in Connecticut, they had to travel and lay clothes, take off their habits and travel and lay clothes for fear of the violence that they would experience had they tried to tra- travel that distance um, as, as religious women. Um, it's, it's unbelievable what we have gone through and what we are going through, and I fear what we might go through. But we have to also remember that blessed are you when people abuse and persecute you and speak all kinds of calumny against you on my account. Um, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. The sufferings of this age are nothing compared with the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus Christ in the age to come. And so, what we have then today in this in this gospel of the uh, of the Beatitudes, we have <clears throat> um, the evangelist Matthew placing Jesus as now in the role of the new Moses, of the one now who speaks to the people from the mountain, and in speaking to the people from the mountain, um, what we what we have then is uh, a new law of sorts, the law that so interprets the contemporary age that it opens the door to us now for the future. The fulfillment of the promise, the fulfillment of the Lord's life within us, and the fulfillment that we have anticipated since the ancient days of the prophets, since the days of Isaiah and the day of the Lord, from the promise that Jesus has made as Messiah to the people of Israel, to his disciples, to those who follow him, to his apostles, and uh, even to, to the thief on the cross at the crucifixion, today you will be with me in paradise. And so what we then do with this Beatitudes, we live in a world of contradiction, a contradiction between the present and the future a contradiction between what is and what will be through the promise and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. We live therefore with courage and with, with equanimity, accepting the troubles and trials that we have, resisting evil to the best of our capacity and to the best of our ability, and living in hope in the fulfillment of the promise that the Lord has given to us and that the Lord has made to us. Let us pray, then, that we have the strength and the wisdom to live the life of the present age in such a way that the eschaton, the future, opens up to us in the way that the Lord has promised and in the way that the Lord leads us and invites us. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at SaintGabrielRadio.com.